Home is a member of the Boing Boing Podcast Network. To learn more about the other shows in the lineup, visit boingboingpodcasts.com. And to learn more about this show, including full show notes for every episode, visit homestories.la. Rest Haven, Sunset Grove, Sunrise Slope, Cathedral Slope, Inspiration Slope, Harmony, Tranquility, Ascension. Who wouldn't want to spend their days in a place where the neighborhoods had names like these? Well, there's good news and bad news. The good news is you can, and once you get settled there, you never have to leave. The bad news is, you're not going to like what you have to do to get in. This is Home, Stories from L.A. I'm Bill Barol. The first time I visited Forest Lawn Memorial Park, the original one in the hills of Glendale, my guide to the place was Adam Papagan, who lives nearby and occasionally leads walking tours there. I asked him where he wanted to meet, and said he should pick his favorite place in the park. He wrote back right away to suggest that we meet at the David statue. I asked him if I'd have any trouble finding it, and he said, no, you shouldn't, you just head straight up Cathedral Drive and take a right just before the turnoff for the Hall of the Crucifixion and Resurrection. Besides, he could have said, but didn't. It's a full-size facsimile of Michelangelo's freaking David. I'd know it when I saw it. This is the thing about Forest Lawn. It's a cemetery in the same way that Las Vegas is the county seat of Clark County, Nevada. Which is to say, it is that. If you look at it that way, you're not wrong. But you're definitely missing the point. And it's so strange. I've never, you know, seen anything like this before. Uh, I can't really think of too many other examples. It's just such a weird thing, so I'm, I'm fascinated by it. It's got... You know, this diverse, this architectural pastiche that's just totally ridiculous and out of place in the hills of Glendale, you know, like. It's kind of like the classiest wax museum you've ever been to. Okay, a little history. The idea of cemeteries as public parks can be traced back to the Edict of St. Cloud, which was issued in France under Napoleon in the first decade of the 19th century. It decreed that for hygienic and other reasons, burials should be moved outside city walls. In America, Mount Auburn Cemetery in Cambridge, Massachusetts is widely considered to be the first park-like cemetery and the spark for a trend toward publicly accessible parks and gardens. It was founded in 1831. The cemetery park movement did more than open up new kinds of public spaces for people to enjoy. It fundamentally changed the way people related to their dead. That relationship used to be a much more intimate thing. The park cemetery made it possible for people to incorporate the dead into other aspects of their life, into their leisure time, um, even into things like weddings, which I know, you know Forest Lawn has a history of. That's Elizabeth Harper. She runs the website All the Saints You Should Know. The relationship um, with death then was much more tactile. There's this um, tradition, at least in Italy, of double burial where you would take a body down to the crypt and let it rot and then transfer the bones. And that rotting period was really a period of mourning. So, But this is a very hands-on process uh, for dealing with the dead. 
And what the secularization did was really remove that, or start to remove that hands-on process. The people would still have funerals, but then the burial was done away from um, from the church, and usually not even with a priest or, or anyone accompanying it except a grave digger. Um, so then when we sort of went back to burying people in these outdoor cemeteries, there was a softening of that of that uh, contact with the dead. Softer, less direct, and also, in a way, less personal. You can sort of walk into this park setting, and especially in these modern memorial parks where they've removed, removed all of the monuments, you can, you can go in and you don't necessarily have to visit a particular site even. You can just be there and, you know, sort of take in this comforting you know, surround. This was the landscape into which stepped in 1912, a former mining executive named Hubert Eaton. Eaton and a partner, Charles Sims, had been dabbling in the sale of what we now call pre-need funeral arrangements, and they were hired by a struggling cemetery in an L.A. suburb, then called Tropico, to sell its plots. He was a hustler, Hubert Eaton, in a genial, all-American kind of way, and by 1917, he had become Forest Lawn's president and general manager. What happened next is the stuff of legends, most of which Eaton himself invented and promulgated. On January 1st, 1917, he gazed out over the tombstones of his new domain, and he had, according to his biographer, the journalist Adela Rogers St. John's, a kind of religious-slash-mercantile epiphany. Here's St. John's from her book, First Step Up Toward Heaven, Hubert Eaton and Forest Lawn. His heart was flooded with a miraculous compassion that held him spellbound, shaken to his prosaic, sensible, firmly planted on the ground boots. Every man ever born into the world must meet the moment symbolized by those tombstones, as a mourner, as the one to be mourned. This was the one thing a man couldn't duck for his family, his friends, himself. Somebody ought to do something kind, helpful, Christian about it. Couldn't there be a beautiful passage to eternity instead of a little piece of hell? I think Ian is one, actually one of the like great American capitalists. This is Adrian Glick Cutler. She's the West Coast Features editor for the website Curbed, and her story for Curbed, Los Angeles is Killing Us, is essential reading on Forest Lawn. Eaton, she says, was a person of sincere faith who also happened, with equal sincerity, to see the main chance in a polished, idealized version of eternity. I, th- I think he was a visionary. You, you had to have been a visionary to have created the myth around himself that he created. And like you say, to create you know, the physical reinforcement of that myth that, that it perpetuates. This is Adam Papagan. A lot of times, if there's a good idea, somebody who comes up with it, like with the McDonald's brothers, they weren't going to do anything. They had this great idea, but they couldn't see the big picture. And it takes someone else, an opportunist, to come. And, you know, maybe they're 
the, the way they go about it is kind of uh, unscrupulous, but this bigger thing comes out of it that we can all enjoy, which is very American. I mean, that's how the country was founded, right? A hustler and a zealot. Nobody ever said you can't be both. Like Adam says, that's America, right? It's impossible to tell the story of Forest Lawn without leaning heavily on Eaton and his legend because, well, he made it that way. He wove himself and his story so tightly into the DNA of the place that they're impossible to unwind. When I say himself, by the way, I mean the stylized version of himself that you see referenced all over the park, not as a recognizably human guy called Hubert Eaton, but as a semi-deity called The Builder. This Etonian alter ego is most famously found in The Builder's Creed, a sort of mission statement inscribed on a gigantic tablet bolted to the side of the great mausoleum, whose memorial court of honor holds Forest Lawn's most distinguished residence, at least according to the idiosyncratic value system of The Builder. These include Gutzon Borglum, who sculpted Mount Rushmore, Carrie Jacobs Bond, who wrote the super treacly early 1900s song standard I Love You Truly, and Hubert Eaton. He started in 1917, he died in like 1966. So 50 years he spent building this. This is this guy's life, life's work. By denying, I think, a lot of people's individuality who's buried there, he kind of built a monument to himself. This defining self-regard, it's pretty much the whole enchilada when it comes to Forest Lawn. It's the key to appreciating it as one intensely curated and art-directed environment that has a lot of disparate and fairly gonzo parts. For example, and most unmistakably, the art. Forest Lawn is filled with this stuff. There are 1,500 pieces of statuary alone, including, not just in replica, all of Michelangelo's major works, but also dozens upon dozens of kitschy smaller bits, like the little marble moppets who gaze eternally up at the Builder's Creed. There's a puppy there too, of course and a bronze cast called Duck Baby. This was the first piece Eaton bought for the park, showing a smiling cherub kid holding up a pair of eternally adorable baby ducks. And that's just the small stuff. The park also houses a reproduction of John Trumbull's Declaration of Independence, three times the size of the original painting, done in 700,000 pieces of mosaic tile, and a mosaic Last Supper, Eaton had a thing for mosaic, and the world's biggest religious painting, Jan Steika's The Crucifixion, which is 45 feet high, 195 feet long, and housed in its own building, specially constructed by Eaton for the purpose. All of this, all of it, reflects the taste and cultural disposition of one man, the builder. Elizabeth Harper has spent a lot of time marveling at the agglomerations of art and other objects of wonder that accrued in the great churches of Europe where citizens used to mediate their feelings about death. This isn't that. His is much more like a private art collection, as opposed to sort of the cabinet of curiosities, because he took exactly what he wanted and edited it down. There's not, you don't get the sense of like this massive compiling, like I think of churches as like history piles, because they get passed from, you know, one bishop or priest to the next, and that's whose vision it is for a while, or maybe there's a powerful family. So you get a lot of points of view, and it can be kind of confusing to look at, but his is a singular vision. It's easy to scoff at the art and the setting for being Middlebrow. 
And in fact, I myself made the mistake of doing exactly that the first time I met Adam Papagan. I would say that kind of art criticism is going to be found anywhere in the art world. Those are people who are just looking to hate. Uh, so I'm going to play uh, devil's advocate. I'm going to argue the other Eaton side of it. Bill, you're going to go, you're going to get a plane, you're going to go to Italy. You're going to go see the Last Supper, which is small and you have to wait in a long line. You're going to go walk around the Statue of David, which is actually a reproduction in Italy anyway. The one in, that's outside. The one inside is the real one. So there you're just going to see a reproduction anyway. So why not make these things the greatest art, you know, of all time, or at least of the Western world, why not make them available that people can just go see? And because they're recreations, you can get up close to them, you can look all underneath. I've only ever seen, like, pictures of the David statue, or like the little knockoff ones, you know? And those are not to scale, those are not as good. When you see the real thing, or at least an approximation of the real thing, the magnitude of it, it becomes apparent to you, and, and how great it is. Now, to contrast that, the way they go about displaying all these masterworks of the Italian Renaissance is so tacky. It's just the tackiest thing, and it's that contrast, that contradiction, that I think makes Forest Lawn so interesting. So yes, the art. Take it as you see it. But if you're wondering why it matters, it matters because what Eaton pulled off in Forest Lawn was a misdirection on a grand scale. And the art was the handkerchief he waved to make people look where he wanted them to look, which was not at death, but at eternity. For a place with so much Catholic iconography, Forest Lawn sure does lean more toward a sunnier angle on death, a more Protestant, Eisenhower-era, West Coast American kind of orientation. You don't have to guess at this, by the way. It's right there in the Builder's Creed. It's at the very top of the Builder's Creed. I believe in a happy, eternal life. I believe those of us who are left behind should be glad in the certain belief that those gone before, who believed in him, have entered into that happier life. I believe, most of all, in a Christ that smiles and loves you and me. Eaton meant this literally. When Adrian was researching her piece for Curbed, she found that, as best she could tell, there was only one unhappy Jesus in the whole park, the replica Pieta in the Memorial Court of Honor in the Great Mausoleum. Eaton couldn't do much about that one. Rolling Hills, epic art, a charismatic leader, a deliberate decision to move death itself off-center stage in favor of something more grandly theatrical and uplifting. If you're a movie fan, all of this may sound familiar. The Loved One. Tony Richardson's first film since his Academy Award-winning Tom Jones. The Loved One, a monumental tribute to the American way of life and death. The Loved One, from 1965, based on the 1948 novel by Evelyn Waugh, is largely responsible for Forest Lawn's reputation, at least beyond Southern California, where the original Glendale location eventually spawned nine satellite properties and is a going concern. It's a scathing, and it should be said, a fairly ridiculous satire that aims to roll up its fictional forest lawn, called Whispering Glades, in a broad indictment of American culture at mid-century, as exemplified in the fattest broadside of a barn target the filmmakers could conjure. Los Angeles. Subtle, it ain't. 
The bumbling innocent through whose eyes we see the story is played by Robert Morse, channeling Jerry Lewis. And the character who stands in for Eaton, the blessed Reverend Wilbur Glenworthy, a maniacal real estate charlatan in the guise of a holy man, is played by Jonathan Winters. So you get the idea. To my mind, it hasn't aged well. And its buckshot parody of Southern California as the apotheosis of crass vapidity gets really old really fast. Now, I am in the minority here. Film hipsters love the thing. And even I have to admit, there is a glimmer of something true there. There is something essentially L.A. about Forest Lawn. The real one. So it's got this sort of, uh, the sort of Los Angeles striver aspect to it, I think, that especially we think of like with mid-century Los Angeles, um, of sort of aspiring to, to, to a higher class, but really meant for the middle classes. I, it, it existed before Hubert Eaton, the builder, um, but it really came into its own and became Forest Lawn under Hubert Eaton, and he really was, uh, he really created a cult of personality around his vision for the cemetery. That is a very Los Angeles thing. There is glorification of some people, which I think is also sort of a very mid-century Los Angeles thing of, um, you know, creating our stars and, and our people worth worth worshiping um and then the rest of us schmoes and we're just gonna aspire to that the denial of of death sort of this eternal beautiful park like he didn't even want deciduous trees in here because he thought that leaves falling would remind people of death which like you can kind of only do that in california (laughs) the case the movie makes the book too and others most famously jessica mitford's the american way of death is that, follow me here, Forest Lawn is emblematic of L.A., and L.A. is all plastic and an inch deep, so therefore, Forest Lawn is built on a con. Or worse, a lie. A whole stack of them. The art is fake, the culture appropriated. Even the name falls apart like wet tissue the second you subject it to the barest scrutiny. Think of a forest, it's dense and lush and deep, and then a lawn is manicured and uh, and fine and convenient. It's right. It's not way out in the forest. It's right there in your backyard, front yard. Forest lawn has been held up to ridicule for so long that it's easy to think the least of it. And because Forest Lawn and Eaton are so inextricable, to think that Eaton was a con man, or at least that he was at the end of his life no more than he had been at the beginning, not the builder, a visionary, a figure out of myth, but simply a guy who sold burial plots, a salesman. But if you visit Forest Lawn on a nice weekend in early summer, as I did, and drive through the monumental iron gates, twice as wide as the gates of Buckingham Palace, Forest Lawn wants to make sure you understand, and five feet higher, and if you drive your car up the winding road and stop anywhere under the trees and get out and walk, You'll see, before very long, people sitting quietly in twos and threes, or all alone, spending time with loved ones who are gone. And when you see that, and you feel the cathedral quiet of the place, something unexpected happens. The trappings of the park, as nutty as they are, fall away 
and you realize you're in a place where people have arranged, often sacrificed, to give their loved ones a home in eternity. And if, when you blink, the trappings of the place come back into focus, and you consider the survivors themselves, you realize that in Forest Lawn, they themselves have a kind of home. Not in eternity, but eternity adjacent. So, say Eaton was just a salesman. Say the whole thing is in the service of selling you a dream. There are worse dreams to sell than this one. That death is not an end, and your loved ones will spend it happily, and you will, in some sense, be able to share it. Or at least, sit under a tree in a beautiful place overlooking a city that sometimes wants for beauty, and you and they can be at peace together. <laughs>